ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. And makeup clogs your pores. So <laughs> I can't imagine it's There's any a real tone different. to get off your high horse, Dan, in that. <laughs> yeah. It's like everything clogs your pores. So why not just chuck a bit of... Rexona. You're right, on that there is genius. Too. That is genius. <laughs> it is absolutely genius. Bang. 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 Bang on. G'day, mate. Hello. How are you? I'm better today than I was yesterday, I'll tell you that. Were you a bit teddy tired <laughs> yesterday? Oh, teddy tired is a word for it. <laughs> I drank all of the wine. The Loki's goes for eight, no, 12 hours, doesn't it? It goes it for really 12 does. hours. It really does. Look, I know someone at the ABC who was in hair and makeup at 8.30am on Sunday morning and I suspect may have still been at the after party at 2am mm. in the morning. Like that's almost torture zones. Really? In I was going to say of, dedication, you say torture. In terms of time spent at a work function, that is a lot. That is a lot. And I was in hair and makeup at 12.30, but by 11 o'clock at night, i that's nearly 12 hours for me being social. thats It's its it is torture zones, but it's heaps of fun too. It's a marathon. And we are going to kick off bang on with that. I feel like we need some sort of fanfare because it was television's night of nights. And my very first Logies, I asked you, Myth, for so much advice. Everyone gave me great advice in mm. the lead up. Um, a lot of people said, I think you as well, that the first Logies will be the most fun. I yes. had a ball, even though it was absolutely one of the weirdest nights of my life <laughs> and there were some questionable moments within it. I had a blast from beginning to end. I'm and I was so there glad. until they turned on the ugly lights of the after party. Oh, really? What time was that? Tell three, us the three, truth. 3 a.m. Oh, that's all right. I thought that's, that's pretty normal. good. On a night out, that's normal. Yeah. But the fact that you've been going since, you know, 11 in the morning, that's, that makes it a long day. And look, it's not, it's not a hard day. It's a lovely day. But it's full on. I, fi- I find it really kind of overwhelming in a sensory way. So many people and you're on the red carpet and I'm short, so I feel like I'm in a – it's like a cattle run on the red carpet, you know, and there's just people everywhere and, and I'm waiting to get drenched with a some sort of – parasite control thing or something. That's what it feels like. It's bleak. Yeah. <laughs> that red carpet, that was the first entrance into the Logies. And you were right. No one wanted to talk to me. I had a couple of chats, but really they, it's not, you know, that's fine. It's not really a, no one, a public No one ever wants to talk to us. Bag. Um, it's very much the realm of commercial media, that red carpet. But I will say this, in that regard, every time I looked around, I just felt like the only way I can describe it was like a fever dream. I just felt mm. as though my lifetime of television viewing was in front of me. I look to the left and there's Alf from Home and Away. It's amazing, isn't Maggie it? Maggie Tabra. Alf in his down. natural habitat. <laughs> was Maggie Tabra there? Maggie T was at the Logies. I turned around and I was no. like, is that Maggie? There she is. She's still going. She had a walking frame. Was she but wearing, she's still going. Was she wearing a stylish caftan slash moo-moo um, accessorised with a turban? Absolutely she was. It yes, was good. Black and bedazzled. She looked amazing. I didn't know she was there. What a legend. Maggie was there. Um, all of the newsreaders and various current affairs hosts over years all around looking beautifully bronzed and just everyone, like young and old. It was wild. And I was lucky to have a few friends, you included. You were there with Joel. I bumped into you guys and interrupted an interview, I think. I'm sorry about that. And then I also Doesn't saw Reese Nicholson was there with... 
Queen Kong, who was nominated, um, and a few other mates, Matt O'Kine and I, were wandering down the red carpet together. I felt a bit better wandering with him too because no one really wanted to talk to him much either. <laughs> so we were just like waiting. You know what we were doing? We were just constantly waiting because we were in a pack with Costa from Gardening Australia and Tony Armstrong and everyone to chat with them. So, and Costa exactly. loves a chat. Costa will not stop yarning. If you That's ask him right. a question, he's off. And we yeah. have to keep on getting him. Go, let's make, come on, let's, let's come get on. in there. Move, an hour and a half it took us to get into the door. Oh, you're red, joking. An hour and a half. That and is a l- Annabelle Crabb was just like, I'm going. She stuck around for a bit and she's like, nah, I'm straight in there and just <laughs> ran down that red carpet and straight inside. Well, I feel really bad because when I got finally got through the red carpet, see, you know I made the decision not to wear flats um, and or gnaw a brace on my knee after mm. seven weeks of – I think I'm at the seventh week or the eighth week since I did it, did my ACL – and I thought, oh, I'm going to be fine. I can do this. It's all on carpet. It's going to be fine. But by the time I got to the end of the red carpet sort of thing, before you go into the venue, I could barely stand up. I'd made the worst decision of my life. I couldn't walk. But I didn't want to take my shoes off because then everyone would think I'm just a trash bag right at the start. I'm happy for that at the end. Getting your spring not- racing carnival on nice and early. Exactly. But not right at the start. And I feel really bad because I saw Annabelle Crabb and I was chatting to someone else. And I- but I was also desperately asking someone in the kitchen for a chair from their kitchen so I could sit down. This is at the pre-Logies drinks. Oh, so mate. that's how my night turned out. So Annabelle, if you're listening, which you're probably not, but I'm, I'm really sorry. I felt really rude. I was more focused on getting a chair at that point because <laughs> there was no way anyone was going to give me a chair because why would anyone want to sit down at this point, at, right at the start? <laughs> so yeah, I felt, I felt quite bad, but I did get a chair momentarily and that was great. And then you were sat at the very back of the room as you oh suspected. Oh my God, I told you. And I came and visited you on your table and there was the back wall right behind your head. the actual back wall. But I think that was the best because that meant no one was behind. So we could really kick back and relax. And I loved it. So where was your table? Because I never made it that way because I couldn't walk. Yeah, no, we were in a similar situation. So we were right next to the door, which again, I was very happy with because I could just nip out and and go use the loo. Yeah. And And everyone else is going past you as well. So you actually see who's there. Yeah, it was uh, basically, it was a, a lovely thoroughfare and I got to see lots of mates. Um, and we, we were kind of cozying up, um, interestingly, next to some Channel 9 tables, which I was like, well, it's the first year in a long time they haven't hosted the Logies and they've absolutely put Channel 9 personalities right at the back of the room with the ABC. There's a little bit of energy right there. Yeah. But it was, um, yeah, one of those things, again, that in the room, uh, just looking around and you're like, oh, there's just all these people from Australian television and they're all here and they're all getting lit and this is very funny. The whole it's, thing was very funny. It's very funny, isn't it? And it's it's just a hoot if you can handle the length of the broadcast. <laughs> it's, it's an absolute hoot. And it is quite nice to get together with people that you work with and meet people that you may never normally meet. Everyone was I, really nice. I really, yeah. I, met, I met so many people and people that you kind of connected to or there's people that, you know, I often see and like I know that you know Miff or you know another mate and we just, we both sort of are in the same orbits but we've never met before. Mm. And that was just really lovely. Like you get reminded that it is a kind of, you know, it's a small pond and sometimes that's a nice thing that the Australian entertainment industry is quite well connected in a yeah. lovely way. Um, and everyone's really friendly. Yeah, I had beautiful Poe on my table. Oh, I love Poe. And I've spent, you know, various short occasions with her, but never never the 74 hours of a Logie's broadcast. <laughs> and we really got to know each other and it was just a gorgeous, you know, it was a gorgeous thing. And I'm really thankful and appreciative for that. 
So there've been those moments over the years, and and you'll get plenty more where you do. You, it's it's a real surprise to see who you end up connecting with on a night like that. I was sitting next to Aranka and Miles, who were I think the oldest and the youngest attendees at the Logies. Aranka and Miles were in Old People's Home for Teenagers, which was nominated for a Logie. And I found out that Aranka, when she moved from Hungary to Australia, the first thing that she did when she landed in Australia was buy a copy of TV Week. So her being at the Logies as, gosh, how old would she be? I reckon she'd be in her 90s, was Mm. just phenomenal. And they were so sweet. When you see, if you haven't seen the show, um, it follows on from old people's home for toddlers um, and that series where basically, you know, very young people are teamed up with people in an aged care home because there's studies around the fact that it helps both of them. It help, you know, yeah. it gives them both energy and understanding and connectedness in a, in a, in a time and a world where we're increasingly fractured and they've been hugely successful shows for the ABC, but watching them together was just so sweet because he was just so patient with her. She was trying to send pictures Aww. from the red carpet to oh, her niece. The, the The phone was on the largest text size I've ever of seen in my life. It was. And he was just helping her out with the technology and figuring it out and being really patient, explaining what was going on because, you know, you and I were probably confused for half of that ceremony. Imagine yeah. if you're in your 90s, you'd be like, what the frig is happening? <laughs> Um, but she, um, yeah, she had, a, she had a few wines and she's just, um, was, look, she was getting a bit lit. I won't lie. And, uh, and she sort of just started patting me on the back and then giving me a massage. And I, <laughs> I was like, well, thank you, Aranko. So sweet. Thank you so much. Just like, hello, darling. Oh, that is beautiful. <laughs> so but file that under people that you'd never imagined that you were sitting uh, at a table with at the Logies and there you have it. It was very, very sweet and, and fun. Um, but there were some interesting winners too. I think a few surprises. A lot of people surprised that Bluey didn't win. Um, yes, very upset. That was my only. <laughs> Dave, Dave Hughes, after he did a massive <laughs> ramp up as well, just talking about, you know, no one's got a chance here and then Bluey don't win. I bet that's an awkward moment, isn't it? I know. And who thought that a children's program would be would would be the, you know, the, the font of anger for the entire country? Like those poor kids <laughs> from the telly show that won it. Good on them, you know. I'm sure Bluey doesn't mind. And I'm sure Bluey's got plenty of awards on her shelf. Um, you as Auntie Trixie, were you bothered by that snub? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, you know, share it round. Share the joy around. Share the Bluey, love around. Like you said, Bluey's getting so much success around the world. It's it's incredible. So I'm sure they're I'm sure they're totally fine. And they have won a Logie previously, so yeah. um, I'm sure they're okay. The gold Logie though, um, I sometimes think I'm a little bit out of touch when it comes to, especially the Logies where I'm like, what TV show is that? But um, yeah, the Gold Logie was hotly contested. And I was thinking, uh, Lee Sales is in with a shot. Her campaign's been quite strong. Yeah. And Sonia Kruger came through, which I think that from after in the things that I've read in the, in the follow-up, there was a massive campaign running on Channel 7. Channel 7 was the broadcaster of the Logies. They yeah. put a lot of resources into pushing Sonia Kruger. They had her on the red carpet as well doing the pre-show. They changed the voting. I saw when I got the rundown that voting was still open through the broadcast for the Gold Logie up until like 10, 10.30. And oh, Channel really? 7 changed those rules. So anybody who was watching and seeing Sonia on the red carpet owning the stage, it's like even more, here's the moment you can still vote for Sonia. So it's oh, kind wow. of a little bit weird. And I'm not saying, like, you know, she voted. It was a pop- popular vote. Yeah. But 
Oh, the speech was a bit weird, wasn't it? I feel like she wasn't um, prepared, or at least that's what she said in hindsight. She said she had a, had a, an acceptance speech in her bag, but she didn't get it out thinking that she wouldn't win. And she got up on stage and I think because it's such a long day, you do say, and I'm not suggesting she was she was this, but this would be me and this happened to me when we won a Logie. You do say, oh, I'm going to be good. I'm not going to have a little sip. I've, I've got to wait till the awards. But by about 7.30, 8 o'clock, then 9 o'clock, you're like, oh, no, nah, no, nah, I've got to have a little little glass of Chardonnay and then you've had a couple and then it's just it's all happening and there's no choice in it you're on you're on a you're on a ride you can't get off and <laughs> i feel like i feel like maybe that happened she just thought it's not going to happen and i'm so tired and i've done i've just done all my jobs um maybe she just started relaxing i don't know um but yeah it, it felt like she was saying things and had they had an intention behind it but they came out all wrong. And that yeah. was particularly the comment about Hamish Blake and sharing the same agent. Yeah, in case you missed it, this is what Sonia Kruger had to say. My fellow nominees are incredible and I've joked with Hamish. Hamish and I have the same agent, Mark Clements, he's here tonight. And I said to him, I said, Mark, who did you vote for? Put him on the spot. And he was like, well, Sonia, I think people are a little over Hamish. <laughs> and I went, no, Mark, surely not. No, he's, he's the odds on favourite to win. And he went, no, and frankly, I'm secretly hoping he'll leave the agency so I can concentrate all of my efforts on you, Sonia. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Obviously, Mark did not say that. I'm paraphrasing. Ooh. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, look, we've all been there. We've all said the wrong thing. I think that if you're a comedian, then you can maybe get away with the timing mm. of that. But if you're not a comedian, it doesn't quite work, does it? It just felt no. mean. It did, and it felt weird. It just felt a little bit weird, and I'm sure she thinks that. And I think, oh, she's—I'm uh, sure she's regretting that. Backtracking by the thousands at this stage, um, yeah. <laughs> it was a long night. <laughs> it was a long night. I kicked on to the after party. You went home because you had other things I, to do. No, I had other things to do, but I literally couldn't walk. Then I made the such a bad decision and it ruined my night, really. Oh, mate. Um, I, it made me sad because I couldn't enjoy anything. I couldn't pop around to other tables and say hello to people. It was a bit It was a bit annoying, but I, I still had a good time catching up with who I did catch up with, so that was good. But tell me about the after party. Did you hit the dance floor? Did oh, I you... hit the dance floor. Yeah. It was so funny. It was at the Marquee nightclub, which I think has been closed for a long time and it was very dank. And went in oh, there. really? There was like the front room was kind of, it was like a Millennium era bad club with bad sound playing really hardcore dance music, not kind of conducive to to actually, you know, dancing and and chatting. It was just a bit intense. No and I was in there. Hits, no classic Which hits. is really what you want when you're at the Logos. You, you just want, want the wedding dance. DJ. He wants dancing to classic hits, hits and memories. Yeah. All that. Yeah. So I was in there for a little bit. I was having a little boogie with Norelda Jacobs and, and drinking an I espresso martini. She's the best. Um, and then I popped to the loo and came out and I was like, oh, there's a whole other room on the other side. And that's where the amazing Shantan Wantan Ichiban, who does a lot of stuff with Triple J, who I've known for years, who is a great DJ, was absolutely tearing it up with classic R&B, yeah. hip-hop, 90s pop, all the things that you want to hear after a Logies. And the vibe in that room was warm and fun and loving and awesome and 
I just stayed there for the rest of the night and ended up bumping into a bunch of different people that I knew, uh, having a boogie with Peking Duck and G Flip who were there, um, meeting up with Tom Gleason and Ellie and I shout them out because I know they're very dedicated bang fam and we hung out and had a had a good boogie shout outs to ellie who did tell me to take my shoes off and then i realized there was glass on the dance floor (gasps) so we put our shoes back on (laughs) terrifies me but there's a moment all yesterday i was kind of just remembering bits and pieces because when you've had a a few champagnes um you know things take a while to come back to you the next day and i just suddenly remembered yesterday that At one point I went to the bathroom and obviously my subconscious was like, you need to hydrate. So there was a massive table right outside the bathrooms, just full of bottles of water. Mm. So I grabbed like five of them. They were mini bottles. I was like, I need five bottles of water. Oh, they were fresh bottles. You didn't just take someone's old bottles. No, 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 no. (laughs) Fresh bottles. Fresh bottles. I'm classy. Fresh bottles. (laughs) And I grabbed them and then I walked back to, you know, where our crew were hanging out. Um, but as I'm walking through, I just walk into a space and there's Celeste Barber and her <gasps> husband and Harriet Dyer and Patrick Bramall, who did really well. They're from Colin from Accounts, amazing creators and writers and mm. actors. Which we've banged on about, a great TV series. Great TV series. And they're just there. And I don't know what happened, but I just looked at them and they looked at me and they must have had that same, oh my God, we're so thirsty look in their eyes. And so I just, as I walked into them, I just looked at them and then I just handed them each the bottles of water <laughs> like it was fucking halftime at Nipple and I was handing out the orange slices. <laughs> and then I just walked off and they're like, did oh, you say hello? No. Oh my God, you're the water, go- water fairy godmother. I just, I can't, like, they must be thinking, who was that? And what, like, what was that? Oh my God. Well, though, if they're listening and I'm sure they're bang fan, I'm sure. <laughs> They will now know. I'm, I'm sure they knew you, Zan, and I they knew that the water very, was safe to take. Very primal at 2am when you've just had a lot of champagne. You're like, you need water. <laughs> you just communicate uh, without words. It's a non-verbal water-needing communication. So It's a beautiful thing and you did I a hope service. It you, you did a service to the Australian TV industry by keeping them alive, <laughs> by keeping them from turning into dried-up prunes. Best ever Logies. I loved yeah, it. Yeah, I'm so glad. Your first is always the best. It's so exciting. Loved it. Yeah. And, you know, Australian television night of nights. Can't get better. Day of days, week of weeks. Yeah. Oh, oh and you look beautiful too. Oh, thanks. So did you. I love that dress. Yeah, shoes were great too, weren't they? They were amazing. Silly. <laughs> <laughs> you looked hot though. And a lot of talk about Doja Cat this week. If you missed it, there's been a bunch of stuff happening online that speaks to a larger sort of idea of the relationships between fans and stars and what people expect, what they demand. Have you caught up on all this? Do you need a little explainsy? I do need an explainsy because I've I've got it. I've I've got some idea of it, but um, there's a lot going on here. Okay, so this is the explainsy. So early in July, there were some pics posted online of Doja Cat and her new boyfriend, who's a Twitch streamer by the name of Jay Cyrus. And a user commented on the post, calling him a master manipulator, an abuser and a liar. And this user 
she alleged further that he sexually manipulated and lied to his moderators. And when they called him out, he blocked them and quit the platform. Now, more people since have accused this guy, Jay Cyrus, of emotional abuse. There were some other allegations that he was in the DMs of minors. And Doja has started blocking fans who have called her out for dating him. Then one of her Instagram fans said, quote, girl, everyone unstanding you, even if you paint yourself gold, it won't make things better. And this is where Doja responded with quite a lot of fury. She said, quote, I want you all to read this comment and take it as a message. I don't give a fuck what you think about my personal life. I never have and I never will. She then went on to call them miserable hoes, which fans did not take lightly. And she kept blocking people and then a few days later had a go uh, at the name that her fans had given themselves. So you know how Mariah Carey calls her fans little lambs and obviously yep. there's Swifties. Um, Lady Gaga calls her fans little monsters. So um, Doja Cat fans call themselves kittens. Kittens. Or, yeah, so she said, my fans don't name themselves shit. If you call yourself a kitten or fucking kittens, that means you need to get off your phone and get a job and help your parents with the house. Ouch. <laughs> And when a fan said that they wanted to hear Doja say she loved them, Doja replied, I don't though, because I don't even know y'all. Yeah. So she's kind of pushing back on that, you know, the expectations of fans, but also really kind of going one further. And some fans have responded by suggesting that somehow Doja owed them because she'd be nothing without us, as in they've made her famous, they're creating her career, providing her with you know, a wage, all of that stuff. Um, and she, of course, has said, I don't agree with this. You know, nobody forced me to force you to be fans of me. So since all of this drama has started, apparently she's lost about 200,000 followers on her Instagram. Um, some people think it's a publicity stunt because she's got a new single out and they think that there's this sort of alter ego called Scarlet that she's sort of trying out. So they're the sort of, this is the kind of catch up. But there's this whole conversation, I think, really is part of a long line of, I think as you referred to it, Miff, the end of days between yeah. of relationships between fans and artists and what the expectations are and how those lines are being crossed. And a Bang fan member called Emily sent us a great Substack piece. It's really good. It's so good. It's called The Right to Art, Fandom, Parasociality and the Big Thief of It All. And that's yeah. by Eliza McClam. And it talks about that contract between artists and, and, and fans. And there is and none, unlike other relationships like a hairdresser or a tradie. That contract doesn't exist, does it? That's correct. And she's posted something that got a lot of likes on TikTok. And this is a, a statement by somebody by the name of Natty, who's written an, in response to uh, a certain group, Big Thief, who changed a version of their song or, or refused to play a certain version of their song at a live show. I'm not entirely sure. But this is what they've written. Artists need to start understanding their music isn't for them. We pay for pre-sales. We pay for tickets. We pay for your merch. You write for us to make money. Get off your high horse, changing lyrics on a demo. We hate it. Change it back. The people who do like it are dick-riding weirdos who feel the need to protect the rich and their privilege to live off our paychecks and then dogging on us for wanting what you originally released. That is brutal. And Big Thief are not a band that are <laughs> sitting No, they're on. like some little indie Bro Brooklyn group that really um, don't 
um, you would never expect that kind of vitriol to be targeted towards them. But it says it says a lot, doesn't it, about the expectations and that demand from fans. A lot of people reacted to this really negatively, and I think Stereo Gum shared that screenshot of that that tweet, and people were kind of like thinking about what is um, something called a parasocial relationship. So if you don't know what a parasocial relationship, it's basically a one-sided relationship where one person extends a lot of emotional energy, interest and time, and the other party or persona is completely unaware. Yeah, completely (laughs) unaware of their existence. And these parasocial relationships are often really common with celebrities, with people in Mm. the public eye, with musicians. And it's been exacerbated by social media because I think for quite a few years there, even artists as big as Beyonce decided they had to give more of themselves online because that's what everybody was doing. So I think it's fed into that idea of fans actually being a part of artists' lives, in which case... They aren't. They they contribute financially, yes, but really the the success of those huge artists like your Taylor Swift, who really bring the fans on board and almost encourage these parasocial relationships, is is fine because she makes an absolute monster out of it. But for more struggling artists or smaller artists, I think it's a really difficult line. Um, if their fans are expecting the artists to basically do what they want at every step of the way. That's not art and that's not the how the relationship should be, especially for more struggling artists who don't have the profile and don't make the money that the bigger artists do. Yeah, there seems to be a real disconnect in that understanding of what makes art art, isn't it? It's yeah. not something that is on demand, that is curated, that is voted up uh, of the versions that you want. It's literally the reason that you fell in love with this person is because they have a vision and they're doing it their way and that's what made you connect with them in the first place. Mm. And when fans, um, one of the lines I love the most about Eliza's Substack piece was she says, when fans become board members who feel they've bought stock in artists, mm. artists lose their magic. Yeah. You know, that, that focus of it being meaningful to us directly moves towards something that is totally enmeshed in that idea around the algorithm, around AI, around this funneling of creativity into something that you like or expect to like. And imagine the blinkers that go on when that happens and all of the discovery and surprise and shock and awe and magic that you lose because you think you want that and only that. It's not good for the culture. It's not good for you as a listener. Everybody, I would say, even if you don't think you do want to be shocked and shaken, that thrill of discovering something that you never thought that you would love is, is there and asking people to basically create in order to your curation, yeah. is wild. Well, in a way, fans have become the gatekeepers. The fans are now telling the artists what they should wear, what they should make, what they should do, what they should say. And that's what record companies were doing for so long and that's what we've been fighting against for the artists to have the creativity back. And yet now fans or so-called fans, and I, I suspect they're not fans if they expect to like absolutely everything that an artist makes, if they're determining what an artist does, then that's just the the point is lost. That this connection that they've been given to the artist is actually wasted. I'll put that whole piece in the show notes. It's a great read. Well worth reading the whole thing by Eliza McClam. Just on the music tip as well, Miff, because Bang On is music, art, life and stuff. Last mm. week we were recording Bang On um, just in the wake of hearing the very sad and tragic news about the loss of Sinead O'Connor. And we literally recorded it just a few hours after we heard the news. That whole day and in the days that followed, the 
outpouring of love and respect and reverence for Sinead, not just as an incredible artist with a, just a, a multifaceted, multi-octave voice, but also as someone who just fought so hard and stood up for those um, who didn't have a voice and bucked the trend of what other people were saying. That's what you just saw time and time again. And Morrissey has come out in uh, the last few days and, um, you know, someone, the Moz these days, says a few cooked things. We're going to acknowledge that. But this was actually um, pretty spot on what he had to say about the loss of Sinead O'Connor and the people who are now mourning her loss and where they were when she was alive. Yeah, he talks about them praising her proud vulnerability. Um, These are his words. There is a certain music industry hatred for singers who don't fit in. This I know only too well. And they are never praised until death, when finally they can't answer back. You praise her now only because it is too late. You hadn't the guts to support her when she was alive and she was looking for you. Tell it like it is. Lily Allen also wrote something on Twitter that I thought mirrored this sentiment. It's hard not to feel incensed when there are so many people posting about Sinead and how fearless she was. People who would never in a million years align themselves with anybody who stood for something or had anything remotely controversial to say. It's so spineless. If you can't stand up for people in life, don't do it in death. Mm. I think a lot of artists are really feeling this because the reason they are artists are because usually they they feel things, they want to communicate things to people, they, they want to express ideas to a world and they get a certain level of success and then when they actually show who they are, whether it be with faults or not or with beliefs that they want to stand up for that other people won't stand up for, um, they they often get hounded down or ignored or excommunicated from the music industry and Lily Allen certainly has experienced that on many levels. Sinead, yes. Morrissey, as we've said, questionable some of the things he's done and said of late. And it ties into that parasocial thing. We have to accept human beings for their entirety, not just the bits you like. Or if you're going to do that, you don't get to comment on the other things, you know. Human beings are flawed. Human beings are not here for your, you know, to be agreeable for you. And and I think that's essentially part of our humanity, but everyone's trying to sanitise things or... Yeah, I think it's the promise of the internet has been a great thing, but I think that those blinkers, that narrow way of focusing through social media platforms has been one of the the great losses of possibility of what was first called the World Wide Web, which was endless Mm. connections, endless unknowns that is now filtered, so extremely filtered through algorithms, through a few key major apps and players. And we're seeing the results of that in in the real world, the quote-unquote yeah. real world. Um, it's an interesting and strange time. I think that if, you, if you've been looking at all these tributes, think about the artists today and how you value them, how you treat them, how you speak about them. Don't wait until after they've died. Yeah. As is Sinead's case, um, to come out and... And praise what they stood for because there are when so many people. When you didn't people. support what they stood for. Exactly. Mifanwe, before we get into a far 
fashion update. Fashion. I've got to say I love when you call me my fun way too. Do you? Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> Only like my real close people usually use my full name and, you know, it's said sort of funnily but also with love. I love it. My fun way, it's sort of like I'm in trouble but that makes me feel loved. As long as I'm not calling you my fanny, that's okay. <laughs> no, that's fine too. You can say that. My fanny. We do have some fashion very soon, which is exciting, um, from one of our favourite creators, also amazing artists. But you sent an article to the Bang On um, Google Doc this week, which um, had me clicking. Deodorant on your face. Oh. <laughs> what? I know. I, my first thought was that's disgusting because all I can think of is putting, you know, you roll on mum roll on on your face and go after you've put it on under in your underarms I'm like that's disgusting <laughs> however then I thought this is genius why has no one thought of this before and why is this not discussed for people who get a sweaty perspiring upper lip or you know especially for those of us heading into middle age where we get hot and sweaty on the regular um this is actually genius putting deodorant on your face under your makeup you can use underarm deodorant on your face. I just didn't know it. <laughs> it's awesome. Is the idea that it's clogging your pores? Because I've never been comfortable with that. I understand that it's, you know, a means to an end. But is it literally clogging your pores and so that you don't sweat, plog- clogging your sweat glands? But you already put a makeup primer on usually if you're getting your makeup done properly. So that's got to be clogging your pores too. And makeup clogs your pores. So... <laughs> I can't imagine it's There's any a real tone different. to get off your high horse, Dan, in that. Yeah. It's like everything clogs your pores. So why not just chuck a bit of Rexona You're right, on that there is too? That is genius. It is absolutely genius. And it's come through from somebody on Love Island, apparently, the UK version, and I love this because that's a sweaty place to be, Love Island, in so many ways. Um a character called Olivia Atwood, oh, that's actually her name, and she said that she uses antiperspirant on any areas of her face that are prone to sweating in hot weather in order to keep her makeup on. She advises using a waxy product, such as a cream stick, rather than a roll-on, and keeping them separate from the pit ones because we're not animals. <laughs> the, give, give her a Nobel Prize. Face deodorant. There's a little sticker on the menu in your little vanity. This is for the pits. This is for the face. Yeah, exactly. Give her a ne- Nobel Prize. Give her a Nobel Prize. <laughs> oh, thank you for bringing that into my world. Oh, man. Our favourites, Mischief, are back again. <laughs> Uh, the people who brought us the big red boot. Yes. Were they behind the tiny the, the tiny handbag Louis Vuitton? Too. Louis Vuitton, the green one that looked like a bit of um, spinach or lettuce from lunch in your teeth. Mm. But it was actually a beautiful miniature version uh, that you could only see under a microscope. That was a couple of weeks ago. They gave us that. And now they're back. They've taken the red boot to a new level with a collaboration with Crocs. A big yellow perforated boot has now apparently taken over the footwear enthusiasts' excitement, uh, modelled by Paris Hilton. Perfect. Yeah, uh, bringing her back. Janelle Monet, Lil Nas X have been spotted wearing these particular boots. And um, I've just got to say, at the price of around about 450 bucks. US. US. So what's that here? Double. A bit more. 800, 700. You can be really comfortable with the useless boot. 
Um, are they little... Crocs? They're Crocs. They are Crocs. I haven't talked about Crocs in a while. I know. I feel we like do we do get dro- all your DMs though. We do yeah. get every single one of your DMs about Crocs. Anytime there's a Croc update, Bang Fam are in the DMs. I know. I love it. I love it. I feel like we've <laughs> we've left the Crocs for a while, but now they're back, and we have no choice about speaking about these. And they look really, really comfortable. They they're a moon boot. They're a they're an, a 1980s moon boot, a perforated 1980s moon boot for today. And I'm here for it. They look really comfy. They look like you are a Mario brother, which is what the red ones look like. And they look utterly ridiculous. Um, and, yeah, I think I'm into it. You, could you see yourself sporting a little comfortable boot such as this? Yeah, but as, as it was with the big red boot, I worry about the breathability. Although you do have that edge with the Crocs because they have perforations in them. And maybe this is the natural successor to the big red boot, yeah. which is a completely enclosed boot. They recognised that. And they would Maybe have been they got sweaty as hell. And so they thought, we'll get a bit you know, a bit of a breeze. Also a boot that you can wear into the water if you want to have a little wade. It looks like Swiss cheese though, doesn't it? It's a real Swiss cheese vibe with yeah. the holes and the yellow. Like they're cute as. They're really cute. And um, the, the comment about the boots that, that, that the company have said, and this was more for the big red boot, but it works for these ones, cartoonishness is an abstraction that frees us from the constraints of reality. If you kick someone in these boots, they go boing. <laughs> um, I like that. I like that. That's fashion. That's fashion. That's fashion. That's fashion. They're back and they're just giving us what we want now, which is just ridiculous boots. That sounds like a parasocial relationship, Miff. It does <laughs> Oh, I think we've just we've just d- doubled down and then turned around on what we said. We've Ouroboros ourselves once again. <laughs> oh, no. No. It's all right. Anyway, what are you banging on about this week? Oh, we're there already. I have watched, and this is pure joy, um, from start to finish, not just for the amazing hairstyles and um, the fashion, but the music and the heart that is behind it. I finally got around to watching the John Farnham Finding the Voice yes. documentary. Awesome. And it's just, I mean, really, who's going to criticise this? No one. <laughs> it, no one. And you see John's John's rise in the early days and how he was not taken seriously because he had a hit with Sadie, the cleaning lady. You hear about his dodgy manager who made his life kind of hell because made terrible choices for him. Um, and then he found Glenn Wheatley and that was a relationship of all time where these two gentlemen kind of supported each other through thick and thin. And we all know that Glenn Wheatley experienced some um, some difficulties himself uh, going to prison for tax evasion and they don't skirt over that. Mm. Oh, it's just a joy. Uh, and John Farnham, you see the struggle that he went for to be taken seriously as an artist and for how long that took. And But also it's just... Total, total late 80s, early 90s lushness. There's, you know, the the fashion, the leather pants, the, the singlets that just go right down to the hip on the guitar players. It's, it's the best. <laughs> it's, it's your actually, time. It's my time. Well, it was a time when I was a little bit younger, so I couldn't 
completely embrace it. And I realise too, because you know how the mullet is back mm. today, mm. every young man who thinks he's got his finger on the pulse has a mullet. But what the mullet of contemporary times is missing is the upside down blow dry oh, yeah. that the 1980s did with the mullet. And you see so much of that work going on in this film. It's just, it's worth it just for that. A it's softer that, head of hair you've never seen than a 1980s mullet. Just that's so right. beautiful. But also high, soft and high. Yeah. You know, like the mullet of today is not going high. And I think that's where we need to go with it because I just felt so warm and joyous when I watched this. It's it's a beauty. It's a bit of fun. and um, But it's also a, a, a time to celebrate somebody who, you know, Australia, we're hopeless. We don't love our stars in the way that we should, I think, sometimes. And the fact that this bloke with an incredible voice had to crawl his way back the way that he did a lot of people wouldn't know that. They just think he's a superstar. Yeah. And it was easy, but it, was, it wasn't. It was never easy. And, and it's a very, very timely documentary, so get on board. I think it's on 7 Play if you missed it. It was on the telly about a week or so ago, mm. um, but I think it's on the catch-up service. So yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. That yeah. is a great bang. Love a bit what of Farnsey. I know. No. What are you banging on about? I'm banging on about a book by a friend and colleague, Linda Mariano. I've been meaning to read this book. You'll be able to read it um, quite quickly. It is a cracking read. It will have you turning the pages very, very quickly. It's called Love Language. And if you've heard her fantastic podcast, Tough Love, then you might know some of the themes that she's exploring. But without knowing Linda, it might, for me, knowing Linda over many, many years, it's quite a journey for her to be so open and raw. And this is a raw book. This is an achingly raw book. Um, Linda's one of those people who um, comes from a family of uh, where people pleasing is kind of the, the core of, of her existence. So Chinese, Malaysian uh, mother, Italian father, very much, you know, being a good girl, making sure that she, um, family is at the centre of everything, but also in public life, making sure she turns up, does the job, all of that stuff. And I certainly saw that through years and years of working alongside her at Triple J. But Linda also was going through a lot of stuff that she never told anyone about. Mm -hmm. And that has manifested over the years in some um, really full-on physical pain, like getting a full-on lockjaw because she's so anxious and she's not sharing what she's going through or pulling back or making time for herself. And to see, to not only hear her share this story, because I think that a lot of people would relate to it, but also the beauty of it, seeing that she's come through all that and she's identified what matters and how it matters to live in this world and to have relationships that can have a bit more give and take. And specifically to find someone um, like Magnus, her partner, who she lives in LA with now, um, who is just the perfect match and that's the right person for her. And she's finally found that space where she's in a respectful relationship and she's got her, she's met her match, you know, she's met her equal. It's just gorgeous. So it's a great read. Um, I think anyone who writes a memoir and particularly one that is just so honest like this should be applauded because it's not, I, you know, it's not easy to it's do, Miff. Not easy to do. Anyone um, who writes a book, I'm like, take my hat off to you. And um, yeah, I think this one will connect with a lot of people. So, yeah, Love Language by Linda Mariano. Oh, Beautiful I, memoir. I need to read it. I've been saying I will and I will. It's a good one. I'll put all the details of that in the show notes. It is an early bang this week, so we're going to be back with you kind of usual time Thursday next week. But, um, yeah, it's uh, 
It's been good to um, catch up today and not yesterday after the Logies. Yes. It would have been a very different bang on if we'd recorded yesterday. <laughs> it would have been about four words. <laughs> and then you'd hear it, someone opening a packet of Twisties, <laughs> sipping on a can of Coke. I walked into work and I was like, I need some red ambulance. Yes. <laughs> My mate Josh just went straight to the vending machine, got me a can of Coke. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's true. It's Sometimes it's the only thing that you can, you can have. But Red it was, ambulance. It was very fun doing Logies with you um, and, and, and hanging out and seeing television's Night of Nights. So thank you for guiding me through. Thank you for being, um, is it the master or the sensei? Whatever it is, my guide, my fairy godmother of fairy the Logies. Godmother. Fairy godmother. <laughs> godmother? Yeah. I'm a fairy godmother. Guide. Guide. <laughs> oh, my God, it actually is. That's what we are, fairy godmothers. I love that. We both are because we, that's what Bang On is. We're the fairy godmothers to life. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, mate. I'll see you next week. See ya. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bang. 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 Bang.